Friday, October 25th, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, impeachment, Mayor Pete's up, the Veep is down, and Halloween scares. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Ed Tibbetts of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Ed. Morning, James. Thomas Nelson of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, Storm the Skiff. It sounds like that's the new battle cry for U.S. House Republicans. It'll fit nicely on a bumper sticker, along with Order Pizza. As if it wasn't enough drama associated with the House impeachment inquiry, a couple dozen House Republicans, including Iowa's 4th District Rep, Steve King, crashed an oversight committee hearing Wednesday morning because of their objections to the secrecy. Then they ordered pizza. I guess it got more attention than the minority party holding a press conference. Um, meanwhile, Ed, there was some news from the impeachment inquiry, um, although can we call it the I.I. or the double I because the impeachment inquiry is sort of a tongue twister and I think it just sounds lame. Uh, testimony from Acting Ambassador William Taylor has received the most attention from those arguing there was a quid pro quo regarding U.S. aid to Ukraine. Um, so, Ed, do we have a smoking gun here? Uh, is is there a basis for articles of impeachment in a Senate trial? Well, I think a lot of people are coming to the conclusion that President Trump will be impeached, um, that the House, which is controlled by Democrats, will at the least vote on articles of impeachment. Um, it, it seems that the train is heading down that track, uh, which presents a, a tough political question, frankly, for House Democrats from Iowa. If you look at 2018, uh, Cindy Axney and Abby Finkenauer didn't talk a whole lot about Donald Trump and their midterm wins. Um, they talked about kitchen table issues. But now, you know, we're sort of at this moment where the president's conduct and the expectations of many in the Democratic Party uh, present them with a, uh, uh, a historical choice, and, uh, and it's very risky. Um, you know, so for, for people like Finkenauer and Axney, you know, a, a vote against impeachment would be politically very difficult, I would think. Uh, but it moves them further away from what was a winning formula last year. So, um, you know, uh, short answer, yeah, I think we're moving to that. And it's going to make it very interesting for, uh, uh, for, for people in the House and the Senate. It, it almost seems like we have the smoking gun before we have... All the all that leads usually leads up to the smoking gun. I mean, when the president released the notes from his call to the president of Ukraine, it seemed like that was almost. I mean, that seemed like the smoking gun, and everything that we're hearing now just sort of confirms that there is a smoking gun. Much of the argument isn't, you know, what did he do? It's whether what he did is is wrong or impeachable. Yeah, I mean, we we have the blue dress and we have the the tapes now and. Uh, let's just put it up to a vote. Uh, if House Democrats send the articles of impeachment to the Senate, and it's interesting, yesterday Senator Joni Ernst said she assumes they will, um, will it be enough to convict President Trump and remove him from office? Uh, well, I, that seems doubtful. Um, it would take, what, 20 Republicans to move to the other side and remove the president? Uh, I certainly wouldn't think that Joni Ernst would be in the forefront of that movement, Um you know, let's face it, Republicans in Iowa, like much of the country, see this as just another witch hunt. Uh, I think the trick for Ernst uh, will be to speak to that impulse uh, in Iowa, uh, which was, a, you know, a heavy Trump state, uh, and yet still remain appealing to those who find uh, the president's conduct tr uh, troubling. Todd, uh, 
do the Republicans here have a point about too much secrecy involved in the inquiry um, and that Democrats aren't following the proper process, whatever that is? I mean, we don't have a long history of uh, um, impeachment process. Well, uh, actually, no, because uh, from what I can understand from all of this is that these closed-door depositions are consistent with House rules that were put in effect in 2015 while Republicans ran the place. Uh, they're consistent with what Republicans did during the Benghazi uh, investigation. They're consistent, apparently, with what happened during Watergate and what happened with the Clinton impeachment. You have closed-door depositions that eventually lead to public hearings, which is what's going to happen in this process. There will be testimony in public on television, Watergate-style, and I'm sure we'll all be riveted unless there's something better on Netflix. But uh, yeah, I, th I think I think this is you know this is political theatrics, which you know God forbid there be political theatrics in Washington. And I don't know that the Pizza Rebellion is gonna you know move the the needle much on this either one way or the other. But uh, I think this contention that this is some sort of uh, court of star chamber or extra judiciary process that's inconsistent with any of this. I mean, also considering that the Constitution basically says the House is in charge of impeachment, and that's all it says. I mean, and whoever's in charge of the House is in charge of how that works, and it happens to be Democrats, and, and you know, the, the, the cliche of uh, elections have consequences, that's kind of what we're seeing. Republicans don't like it, but... That's the way it is. Yeah. And, and, Todd, if the House sends articles of impeachment to the Senate, um, will Mitch McConnell pull a Merrick Garland and say, ah, we'll let the voters decide in a year? <laughs> yeah, I suppose he might. Uh, it's, it's one of those situations where they'll have to make a political calculation based on, you know, all the different things they've made political calculations on before, you know, what, if the base is with them, if... Uh, and, you know, some of it will depend on these hearings. If, you know, if there are public hearings and you bring these diplomats in and they sort of talk about this pretty wide, uh, you know, effort by several people in the administration to, to uh, basically, you know, bribe Ukraine into making a public declaration that they're investigating the Bidens and, and all of these other things that are going along with that, the Giuliani effort, these guys that have been indicted now on campaign finance fraud. I mean, you know, we, there are smoking guns, but maybe there are, <laughs> there are more smoking guns. There's more smoke and more, more uh, stuff will come out. And, you know, I, as I've said before, if you, if you, they probably won't vote to convict. They probably, they may not take it up, but, uh, or, or, or dispatch it quickly. But it, as I've said like I think last week, if you start seeing on Fox News these kind of Mike Pence is looking rather rather leaderly lately. So, you know, these Mike Pence is is on Fox a lot and they're talking nice about him. Maybe maybe we'll see some turn that they conclude that maybe Mike wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> well as uh, Mick Mulvaney would say, get over it. Um, you know. And we're moving on now. Because <laughs> there are polls out. And we, we need to talk about those. Sure. New Iowa State civics poll of Iowa Democrats and Independents shows that Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren remains at the top of the pack, roughly 100 days ahead of the Iowa caucuses. Her support rose from 24% in September to 28% this month. The bigger news in the poll probably was the rise of South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. His numbers went from 13% to 20%. 
leapfrog past Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and former Vice President Joe Biden, who are at 18 and 12 percent, percent respectively. Thomas, uh, you've been covering a steady stream of candidates in the Cedar Valley, and uh, while it's only fair to point out that poll numbers are all over the board, especially when Iowa polls are compared to national polls, do these numbers seem right to you? Do they square with what you're seeing and hearing on the ground? Well, they are, especially when it comes to the one candidate you haven't mentioned. Um, Undecided is leading among, you know, whenever it's asked during a poll, is leading among all the candidates. In a Suffolk poll earlier uh, this week, you know, uh, undecideds were leading with 29% of the vote, or 29% of people, uh, you know, just not knowing who they're going to vote for. And whenever I go and talk to people after these campaign events, um, the vast majority of them are all saying, I don't know who I'm going to vote for yet. I don't know, you know, it's too crowded of a field. I'm not sure who I'm going to support yet. Yeah, this person who I just saw seems kind of cool, but I don't know. I'm not, it's still pretty far away. As of today, it's 101 days until the caucus, and a lot of these, uh, a lot of Iowans who are kind of looking at this still consider that they have enough time. I mean, you know, I usually, I, I'm sure you guys too probably wait until a little bit closer to your deadline before you start to turn something in, and I think a lot of people right now are still consider the deadline for de- uh, their decision a long way off. And, and when I'm talking to I, you know, Iowans and People in general, most of the time, they're saying they're telling me that you know it's going to be around Christmas time and you know late December when they're finally going to be making their decision, their final decision on who they're going to be supporting in their caucus. Now, right now, you know, seeing uh, Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden kind of go up and down in the polls, you know, it's it's showing a lot of movement. But at the end of the day, I think you know it's the people that are undecided that are going to end up making the largest difference in this because, well, they have the largest percentage. And it's, while it's unlikely they're going to go ahead and you know put all the su- their support behind Tom Steyer or John Delaney, it's possible. And, you know, and I think that's what a lot of these uh, candidates that are polling with lesser numbers are kind of counting on at this point. But, you know, I, I am seeing a lot of people, uh, if they're not supporting explicitly um, undecided, or moreover, if they're just undecided, uh, most of the time they're just uh, you know usually they're they're talking about uh, Pete Buttigieg being their second choice, um, and I've heard that a lot at a lot of these events. Um, whenever when I'm at a uh, Elizabeth Warren event or when I was over uh, covering Tom Steyer earlier this week, you know that. They were saying, "Yeah, no, I really liked uh, you know t- you know Steyer. I really was a big fan of Elizabeth Warren. But you know, uh, right after that, you know, I re- you know I really I like uh, Buttigieg. He's that's my second choice, Pete Mayor Pete. I want to you know that's my second one if the, my candidate drops out. And so it makes sense that we're seeing more of a rise in people ch- uh, supporting Steve, uh, Pete Buttigieg um, as it gets a little bit closer and changing from their second choice to first choice." But at the end of the day, I think undecided seems to be the clear winner, at least for now. <laughs> it's interesting, uh, Thomas, uh, uh, talking to Beto O'Rourke yesterday, he was making the case that uh, 
Um, you know, with 100 days, there's plenty of time. There's, you know, undecided voters that, you know, he's still got a shot in the, in the caucuses. And uh, it's interesting how many of them, you know, bring up John Kerry and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Barack Obama's, you know, late breaking uh, support. And Jimmy Carter, too. I've heard that a lot. <laughs> Well, of course, he didn't win the caucuses, but uh, I think undecided yeah. won that year. But um, it, it, is this just the the nature of the caucuses? I mean, uh, we've seen uh, Amy Klobuchar and, and Buttigieg uh, get a boost from their performances in the most recent debate um, with her better poll numbers. Klobuchar saw, reports an uptick in contributions, and she's qualified for the next round of debates. So should we expect more stories like th- this showing the ups and downs in the polls and who's ahead in this horse race? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's what we love about the caucuses, those of us who've covered them for a long time, right? I mean, uh, we're all used to uh, watching candidates uh, rise and fall. seems that at some point in the caucus cycle, each of the candidates who are viable uh, get their moment in the sun. Uh, and the trick is to have it happen at the right time, to peak when people are voting. Um, and, you know, because we all know that most minds uh, don't truly get made up until the last minute. And the undecided numbers that you're seeing in the polls, um, they're even higher. Um, the vast majority don't make up their mind uh, three months early. They wait until uh, almost the very end. Um, but, you know, I think that Thomas is, is, is on to something, and, and other commentators, uh, other commentators have, 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 you know, made this observation that, you know, Buttigieg has uh, carved out a nice position for himself. Uh, he speaks the language of the uh, activists out there, believes what they believe, but he isn't part of the Washington boiling pot, uh, which could... Um, present him as a more electable general election candidate. In the end, I think that's what Democrats are looking for, somebody that's going to beat Donald Trump. Uh, so, I, you know, I think he's done a good job of carving out uh, for himself a, a lane uh, all by himself. Um, my question is whether he's done it too early. Well, uh, in that regard, NBC's Chuck Todd suggested this week that we know the final four, talking about uh, Warren, um, Buttigieg, Sanders, and Biden. Uh, is he calling this race too soon? Yeah, uh, he is. I mean, let's let's face it. Um, we're just talking about Iowa. Um, once they leave Iowa, New Hampshire gets to weigh in, South Carolina. Uh, and so uh, California has a much bigger role this year than it has in the past. So uh, um, this is not only early for Iowa. It's, it's early for the, uh, for the whole primary, I think. Todd, uh, the Iowa State poll also asked the question, uh, asked people which candidate they don't want to be their nominee. Uh, and about a third named Joe Biden, and about 20% uh, said they didn't want Sanders to be the nominee. I- is that worse news for them than their third and fourth place finishes? Um, uh, yeah, I think so, because you know being in third or fourth place right now means you're in the mix. But those other numbers about you know regarding people that don't want them to be the nominee means that your ceiling is limited. You can only rise so much. There's a you know for both. Ber- for both Bernie and Joe, Sleepy Joe, there's there's a there's a, a limited you know that means there's a more limited number of people they can convince, you know between now and, and the caucuses. So, and I think that's been Biden's problem all along is that he his name recognition and reputation and relationships here in Iowa and and the feeling that he might wear well in the Rust Belt and some of those things, you know, propelled him to be in the lead or near the lead, but his numbers have never really gone much above that he's sort of been stuck and now he's sliding 
And I think that's that's because there is a, a large block of people that want something different than, you know, for instance, another, you know, old white guy running for president or where they want a different background or they want a different message. So that's, I think that's reflected in those numbers of, and, and Bernie's too, there's, there's a, you know, significant block of Democrats who may like some of his ideas, but then there are other things that they, you know, don't like about his candidacy. And that's why, and I think Warren has benefited from that largely. One thing I've noticed, and Thomas mentioned the people's second choices and, and how that may affect the outcome is there's a poll and I don't remember who does this but they ask uh, second about second choices and, and I've noticed that earlier this summer uh, Biden supporters second choice was Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders supporters second choice was Joe Biden and I, I, I'm guessing that was had a lot to do with name recognition, but it's changing now that more and more second choices are going to Elizabeth Warren, um, which, I mean, especially like among Sanders supporters, that makes more sense to me. Yeah. Um, then, you know, if you're for Bernie Sanders, that your second choice would be Joe Biden and, and vice versa. So um, we may be seeing some realignment sort of on the second level there. And we're looking at the calendar. It's coming up on Halloween and Next Gen Climate Action Committee, which I think is one of Tom Steyer's projects, is having a little contest to identify the scariest rep, as in scariest Republican. Uh, Next Gen says the Republican politicians are duking it out to see who can be the most awful on the issues that matter to us. So they're having a contest at www.scariestreps.com to let the voters decide they will announce the winner November 3rd, one year out from the presidential election. And because here at Iowa Politics, we're bullish on all things Iowa, sweet corn, caucuses, ethanol, and trade with China, we can report that Representative Steve King currently has a two-to-one lead over Maine Senator Susan Collins in the final <laughs> round of the scariest rep <laughs> contest. And along, along the way, he uh, knocked out Senator Joni Ernst, which is kind of interesting, <laughs> to Iowans at least. Uh, yeah. Mm. I think he's got a good chance of winning. Yeah. I think he's, <laughs> I think he's, he's, really, put, he's really put together a great campaign for this re- award. <laughs> yep. You know, this I'll is one of the – money on him. <laughs> The polling overall, I feel like, for Steve King is just, uh, this is one of the places where I think he's really, really shown shown how well he can do. Uh, we're not seeing that in Iowa 4 yet, but, I mean, right now, this this specific poll shows him way far ahead. I haven't seen even Feenster on this poll. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Yeah. He's drawing support from all across the spectrum, I imagine. Yep. King <laughs> might be able to use this <laughs> in Iowa 4. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that uh, contest and uh, let you know the results uh, after November 3rd. But that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it's been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher and send your fan mail to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Item 9 and the Mad Hatters will take us out. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file. And remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Thomas, Ed, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.